Welcome to Get Rich Without Being a Bitch. This is the place to hear real and raw conversations about what it takes for female entrepreneurs to achieve financial success and live a rich life. I'm Vanessa Shaw, author of The Million Dollar Question and your hostess for this podcast. Welcome, Brooke Lively, to the Get Rich Without Being a Bitch podcast. I am just super excited about our conversation today, just because we've gone through different iterations, honestly, of our relationship and our friendship. And I've been your coach at one point. You know, now I've been, I've been a podcast guest for you. You're a guest for me. And you've also become an author during this time as well. And I remember the point where you were stressing out about actually getting this book, uh, the very first one written, and you've now got multiple iterations of it, you know, and an author multiple times over, but you are as well the CEO and founder of Cathedral Capital, and you specialize, you've taken your business over seven figures as well, and specializing in outsourced CFO solutions for service-based businesses. So... And the author of what we're going to be talking about today, From Panic to Profit. Welcome. Thank you, Vanessa. I think you may have missed actually the most important thing in our relationship. And that is that we are champagne buddies. And I introduced you to Uber however many years ago. That is so true. Do you remember the Russian driver who took us to the liquor store to make a champagne run? No, to be quite honest, actually, when I was introducing you, I actually did remember that. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But yes, that is how we met. I don't know how many. It was a long time ago. It was now. a long time ago. Now we're kind of clocking up the years. And it's true that we were kind of being sneaky and not doing exactly what we were supposed to be doing. And you introduced me to Uber. And I was like, oh, great. I can do this on an app. And then we <laughs> drank a lot of champagne together. And it was a lot of fun. And that's how our relationship started. So, um, but tell us, let's just dive in. I mean, this title of the book, and as I say, I remember when you dreamt up that title and you were writing that very first book, which probably now is, is that about three years ago? Yeah, it, um, it took about really three years from the time when I came up with the idea to actually get it up on Amazon and hitting international bestseller status. Mm -hmm. And the second one came easier because it is a series. Mm -hmm. So we have from panic to profit for different industries. We have it for entrepreneurs, but we also have it for attorneys. And we're looking at doing, you know, SaaS companies and marketing companies, some of those other companies that we work with a lot, but yeah, it was a long road to get there. Uh, well, listen, I, I just have so much respect because I've only written a short book so far, The Million Dollar Question. And believe me, that was a really long road to get there. <laughs> so, but let's look at the title. Um, why Panic to Profit? So I was giving a speech one time and I thought, you know, I've got to come up with some kind of of storyline or of a character that people will identify with. And so I came up with a woman named Patricia and she's kind of a mishmash of all of our clients and a little bit of personal experience. And I, I talk about, or I talked about in that speech, the things we did that helped her go from being in a state of panic to being in a state of profit. 
And it all revolved around these six numbers. And I came up with these six numbers sitting in an EO meeting, entrepreneurs organization. I know you're in it too. And I'm sitting there one day. And one of the guys said, if you're stuck on a desert island and in a fabulous, like five-star resort, and there is one boat that comes a week, once a week, and it drops off passengers or guests, and it, it takes departing guests and it drops off all the supplies. And this resort has no phone, no internet, no TV, no contact with the outside world. What three pieces of information would the captain of that boat need to give you for you to make the decision about whether you could stay for another week or not? Oh, I love that question. Isn't that a great question? And I took it back to my team and I'm like, what are the three pieces of information? Is it three? Is it five? Is it 17? Is it 22? Is it two? Like, what is it? And what we ended up doing was coming up with the six key numbers. And they are the six key numbers that if you have your finger on those six things, then you have your finger on the pulse of your business. You can decide if you can stay at that resort for another week and you will have enough information about your business that whether you're at the resort or in your office, you won't be in a state of panic. Mm, so good. And I know I love that. So I, I love the question. I also love the fact that you were actually at a luxury resort <laughs> deciding to stay for another week. It wasn't like some little tin pot place, you know, where you're like, oh, no, this I'm is a fabulous place. I know. It's like, I love the vision of that. And um, obviously, we're going to dive into those numbers today because this is really important. I mean, I love, you know, as you know, I, you know, I came into business and I share these stories on the podcast with, you know, not looking at my numbers. And I'm not a, what I call a numbers gal like you. This has been a big part of your career. You're very yeah. highly qualified. You know, you've got certifications that I can barely pronounce because. Yes, I've got all the letters. But you've, got, no. you've got all the letters, right? So it's like, you know, you've done, you've done your time. You've got the letters, but you've also got a ton of experience, right? Working with, you know, hundreds of businesses at this point in time, and you're a business owner yourself. And I just would love to, you know, before we go into the kind of technical numbers of it, it's like, just because you've got the numbers and the letters, you know, sorry, the letters after your name and the experience around the numbers, it hasn't always been a smooth journey for your own business, right? It doesn't mean to say that you've had it all figured out the day you went into business that it just grew miraculously. And, you know, here you are now running a million dollars. <laughs> well, I have to say, unlike most people, my start was kind of a miraculous start. I had people come to me, ask me if I could start this business. I said, yes, I had somebody else that wanted to do marketing. Um, he wanted me to private label for him. That was great. So that was really good for the first couple of years of my business. And my business was growing in this partnership. Um, I realized that he was not the partner that I wanted going forward. Yeah. And you, we spent a lot of time on this topic. He wanted to renew the contract and I didn't. Yeah. And at the time when I told him that I was not renewing the contract and we would not be moving forward. He was 94.3% of my business. Yeah. And that was the scariest time in my business. And, you know, over the next two years, I had to 
um, fire a part-time person. I encouraged a full-time person to leave. I maxed out my lines of credit, which because I'm a numbers girl, because I'm a CFO, I had actually lined up bunches of lines of credit Mm. before I fired this guy before I, I said, we're not going to renew the contract because I knew that hard times were coming. So like yeah. I prepared for it and I, um, so I maxed out the lines of credit. I maxed out all my credit cards. I took every penny, every single penny of equity out of my house and refinanced. And I think one of my lowest points came when I applied for a credit card. It had a whopping $900 limit. Oh, good Lord. Oh, gosh. And I waited for it desperately every single day. And when it finally came in the mail, I went at like 10 or 11 at night to a bank on the other side of town and, and did a cash advance on it and took every penny that I could in cash off of it because I had to make payroll the next day. And that was the only way it was going to happen. Yeah. And I lost money for 26 months in a row. Yeah. And it was rough. Yeah. And then listen, and thank you for sharing that because I think that those are, you know, the stories we often don't hear about, right? You know, you can say now, oh yeah, seven figure, look at this amazing business. You've built an amazing team. You've got a wonderful reputation, you know, all through across the books because I was your coach through yeah. pretty much all of that time and like getting out the other side, right? And the mindset and the resilience, right? That, you know, obviously revenues were growing. It's not that, you know, the revenues were growing, but as you say- But God knows, not fast enough. Not fast enough for a while. <laughs> you had, you know, again, you'd lost, this was a complete rebuild, as you say, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever it was, 93, 95% of clients. So yes, there was- I like, had $1,800 of revenue a month. Yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, again, so low compared to where you'd been. Then, of course, you know, we need help. You know, there's all of these other things, marketing and everything. But I think the one thing you had, Brooke, was that holding on to the vision of what you wanted to create. I did. And I think that people talk about anything that's scary is worthwhile. And when you own a business, it can be scary and you're going to run into, and you've talked about this before, you, you run into terror barriers. Yes. And what you want is on the other side of that terror barrier and you've got to get through it. And there are four ways to do that, right? You can kind of inch up to it and get comfortable and inch a little further. You can tie yourself to an engine that is going down the track and taking you with it and you have no option to get off. Um, what is behind you can be scarier than what's in front of you. And let's face it to some extent, that was where I was operating part of the time. Yeah. But the really good one, the one you really like, the one you really want to do is holding that vision because that vision is like armor. If you can see it, touch it, smell it, feel it. If you know exactly what it's like, it is like a bubble that will let you walk through fire. Mm, that's such a good metaphor. I've never heard, I've actually never heard anybody describe it like that. And you just described that so, so beautifully because I've often talked about the terror barrier. 
Not yeah. in quite that elegant way, I might add, but I love that. As you say, it can be, it's like that protective, it's a protective safe place um, when everything else is just, you know, and, and a lot of evidence, again, when we come back to the numbers, you know, you as a financial professional were looking at your numbers and seeing them not going in the direction that they want to. No. <laughs> the first thing that starts to drive crazy decision-making, you know, that's when we, you know, we take the wrong clients. Um, mm -hmm. We we start undercutting our fees. We, we do too much for free. I mean, there's cr lots of crazy kind of behaviors that can be driven yeah. there. And that's part of, you know, I think really staying that course, holding the vision um, and just, you know, really having the faith that if you're, you're doing the actions that you need to be, you will get through to the other side and there's real freedom and joy on the other side. I think that's absolutely true. And I talk about terror barriers, barriers a lot because I think a lot of people are very scared of their numbers. I know that you have told your story and in your story, you were petrified to look at the numbers yep. and you wouldn't look at the numbers until your accountant called, you know, Madame Shaw. Madame Shaw, vous allez faire faillite, which by the way means you're going bankrupt in French. <laughs> That was not what you want to hear. And, and so I think that if you do cloak yourself in kind of that, that, that bubble of, of your vision and you do the hard work, because let's be clear, this is not, no one who was listening to this started their business because they wanted to look at the numbers. Yeah. They started their business because they were passionate about the item or the service that they're selling. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, hold on to that and hold on to the vision of what you want to become. And then look at these numbers. They're not actually as scary as you think they are. Good. Let's, I, you know what, we're going to segue that into, I want to look at, right, what are the six numbers? Let's demystify. All right. We will demystify the first one. Well, let me just say that we when I took this back to my team and we were looking for the six numbers, they said, well, they're kind of six different parts of a company and we need one number that will help you with each part. So the first part is cash. We all know that cash is king. There's no doubt about that. But the key number here, and I use number loosely because it's actually a report, mm -hmm. is your cash flow forecast. Mm -hmm. How much cash are you going to have at the end of the week, every week for the next, next six to eight weeks? Mm -hmm. Because Vanessa, unfortunately, you know that your revenue never matches up with your expenditures. Mm -hmm. I know, right? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if you Wouldn't got the nice? vast majority of your revenue in the first and third weeks when you had to pay payroll and rent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know just doesn't happen. It just doesn't match up that way. So to be able to know how much cash you're going to have at the end of the week, to be able to know in advance, six weeks out, that you're going to have a cash crunch, that gives you time to do something about it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You can move a bill. You can run a special. You can, there are all kinds of things that you can do to either cut an expense, move an expense, or, you know, 
your personal favorite, create more income. Create more income. Exactly. That's always my way to go. And of course, you know, of course, right, we can always cut expenses and we should be looking at those things that are, again, not necessary, mm-hmm. but taking the business to the next level. We can only go so far, right, when we're cu- cutting expenses. But yes. I- and unfortunately, the expense that people very often cut is marketing. Yes, which is the very thing that they it's need. It's the very thing you need. I know. That's what I'm not <laughs> like. I like the things that are really helping you grow and get those clients and the cash flow coming through the door are not the places to cut. That's right. But how about we look at some, well, we could go off on a tangent. How about we cut some unhelpful behaviors instead? <laughs> but, Absolutely. Right. But come back to that, you know, six weeks. Um, and Because I have heard even 13-week forecasts. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I think it really depends on you and your business. Um, there have been times in the bad times, I was forecasting three, four, five months ahead. Mm-hmm. I also have a very stable business. People become a client, they work with us for years. Mm-hmm. So I could really, I had really dependable, repeatable revenues. Not everybody has that. So for some people looking 13, 16, 20 weeks out, I mean, is that really helpful or is that just, you know, total fairyland making it up? Mm, Love that distinction. And that's really important. So again, if you've got kind of like a sticky, like yours is, as you say, it's a very sticky model, right? It's It's actually difficult for clients to leave you because they've revealed so much stuff and you're in systems and everything. So there's a lot of transaction and energy involved. So we could, I, I would say that's like a sticky business model. Mm-hmm. That's when you can do the longer term. But as you say, somebody else that's got more transactional business model and more turnover, we look shorter term six weeks. Yeah. Love that. And again, I think that's a great point because a lot of people are looking at, you know, kind of cash today. They really do. Like, do I have enough cash to get through the day is where you start. And then you, and then you get a little better and you start to look, do I have enough cash to get through the week? Mm. And then the more successful you come in general, the further ahead you start to look. So then you start to look a month or two months. And the problem is, is that you need to be looking that month or two months out from the very beginning. Mm. Yeah. The more cash you have, which is when people tend to start looking out further, you don't have the need as much anymore. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. Okay. Next number. What's the second one? Next number. So we did these numbers kind of, well, we, they're divided into two different categories. We have the numbers that look forward that tell you what's going to happen. So your cash flow forecast tells you how much cash you're going to have in the next six to eight weeks. And then we have two that help you get on track. So let's look at another forward-looking number, which is all around your, your production. So if you're a manufacturing company, it's called your work in progress. If you are a service-based business, it is usually also called your culture work in progress. It's the work that you have done and completed, Mm -hmm. but you haven't yet built for. And in general, in a service-based business, you are going to do the work in July, and then you're going to bill it out on August 1st. 
Mm, got it. So what you really want to look at is your work in progress. How much WIP, W-I-P, work in progress do you have? And there is nothing better than that moment in the month when you have more WIP than your monthly nut. So if you know that it costs your business a hundred dollars to run a month, all in, all your expenses are a hundred dollars. That day that you look at your whip report and you've got $102 in, you know, that from that point forward through the end of the month, it is all gravy. Mm. All that money is going to go straight in your pocket as profit. Good. Now, yeah. the flip side is when you're three quarters of the way through the month and you only have a quarter of your nut in whip. So if you're three quarter, if you're three weeks in and you only have $25 in whip, you know, you need to get busy. And again, it's that forward looking number. It gives you some time to react mm-hmm. and to get some billing done because otherwise next month's going to be really, really ugly. Yeah. And those things, as we always know, they always compound, right? It's like, you know, mindset starts to go down the drain and then panic comes back, you know, back, That's to, right. back to the title of the book, right? Then panic comes in and then all of a sudden we've got unhelpful things happening. That's right. And you're making those bad decisions again. Right. Um, so production, what's the next? So I, I think there's another forward kind of forward looking number that's coming. There are, there are two more. So one is around marketing and sales. So if we look at your whip and this month's whip is next month's revenue, mm-hmm. we want to look in mark in marketing and sales. We want to look at those clients coming into your business because in most service-based businesses, this month's sales call is next month's new client, which is month after next's revenue. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that we have enough clients coming in to keep supporting the, the company. Mm-hmm. So the number we look at is the number of sales calls booked mm. because that will tell us most business owners know if I have a sales call, then blank percent of the time they become clients. Mm-hmm. So you can really look at that and say, all right, I've got 10 sales calls this month. I know that on average, I close 60% of them. That's going to be six new clients next month. Yeah. And this is really about keeping the pipeline full as well, right? Absolutely. Back to those activities of, yes, you know, as you know, that's the kind of sales and marketing is the piece that we do a lot of with our clients. Yeah. To me, I'm like, this is oxygen to the business. Absolutely. And again, oxygen. Yeah. If your pipeline's getting thin, you've got some time to pump it up because we're starting to, we know that this month's sales calls impact revenue in two months. Mm. So, and what do you call it? You, you have something about like planting and watering and what is that one? You've got two different kinds of, of so there's, um, gosh, we've got so many different things, but I know we talk about buds, you know? Yes, the buds. Exactly. So that, this is, again, and those are some of those ones that are very, very early stage relationships, right? That we are, you know, you're nurturing, but the chances are they are not going to generate revenue, right? In this 90 right. day period. Again, obviously, 
different people's sales cycles are, will vary across industries versus the blooms, right? It's back to what are those ones, like the flowers behind me that we can see here, right, that are really ready to go. And that's back, you know, we've, we've always got a mix of those in the business. And yes. I think sometimes, again, people put that, you know, their focus on the buds or, you know, or trying to create new, frankly, as well, right? It's mm-hmm. like, like we're, we're trying to sow brand new seeds and it's like, but there's probably a lot of opportunity that's already there. I mean, we know that, that it's already around you. Like, where are we going to put that focus so the, the pipeline is staying full and kind of smoothly oiled? That's right. And if the pipeline is not as full as it should be, don't go out and plant seeds, really look and see what flowers are there, what blooms are there that you can pluck. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's probably one of the biggest things that I see. I think it comes back, you know, the more I talk about this with you, Brooke, now the title, it's like, actually the title is so perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's perfect for my world as well, because as you say, like people will look at their calendar and I'll say, so how many sales calls, like how many appointments have you got? You know, what what is in the pipeline? Um, and even asking that question at times can be like, oh my gosh, like we've been so busy. There's not enough. There's not enough, right? It's like, you know, I've been in the weeds of the business or they're Mm -hmm. too dependent on referrals, right? And referrals are great. But again, we're- hard to drive them. It's hard to be in the driver's seat. And it's back to that, like that, that panic that can so quickly come in. And that's what I see with a lot of our business owners. They're off creating new. Mm-hmm. Um, no, there are blooms. Believe me, there are. We're going to help you find them, and it's going to be so much easier. That's and right. And we'll work on the other stuff. Okay. So sales calls booked. That's a great metric, a great number. What's yeah. up next? All right. So the last one, the last forward-looking one. We want to look at your engagement-based KPIs. Like, what are those key performance indicators? What do you know about your average engagement, whether it's your average client, your average sale, whatever you call it, whatever word you use? What are the averages about that? Because that gives you so much information about your business. When you know those averages, you know things like how many clients in a month your team can handle. Mm. right? How much pressure does a new client put on your team? Um, So you want to know the average price, the average length, how long does a client stay with you? Mm. Is it very transactional and they come in and it's a 20 minute transaction or do they come in like with us and stay for two, three, four, five years, Mm -hmm. right? And, And again, how much staff it takes. So what we're looking for here is net new engagements. So you should know, or I would like for you to know, how much capacity your company has to do work. Mm -hmm. And then how much of that capacity you're utilizing. Net new engagements is a quick, easy number to tell you if your utilization is rising or falling because let's say your people are already working flat out and all of a sudden your pipeline is full of blooms and you go in there and you pick them all Mm. and you have more clients coming on than clients that are leaving, your team is going to be under a tsunami of 
of work, which is so difficult for them. Mm. But if you're looking at your net new engagements, if you know how many clients a team can handle at any given time, then you can say, okay, here's the deal. I know that a pod or a team, whatever you want to call it, can handle 30 clients at any given time. And I'm looking at my net new engagements and we're adding five net new. We've got five more new clients than we have clients that have left. Mm -hmm. We're averaging five net new clients a month. In six months, I'm going to need a whole new team. A whole new team person. Yep. So when you start looking at that, you can see, when am I going to need to hire? If your net new engagements is negative, Mm -hmm. then that is also an early warning system. Where do we need to be looking at expenses? Do we have expenses we don't need that we can cut now before it gets critical? Are we going to need to lay people off? What's going on? But again, you're looking so much further ahead. And this is not, you know, the six weeks ahead. This is looking months ahead. Yeah. So as we've been talking about these numbers, we've been talking about numbers that look further and further and further ahead. Yeah. And so we kind of master them in that, in that order. Let's take the easy one first. How much cash are we going to have at the end of the week for six to eight weeks Mm -hmm. and build out to the more advanced? How much pressure is this putting on my team? How am I going to need to hire and fire in the future? And this is so important, right? Again, because we see this in my world, you know, people, we, you know, helping them grow rev- revenues rapidly, but let's, it's back to what you said. That means, well, there's more clients coming through the door. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the early days, there is slack in the system. And, and of course, there are times when we want to be more, you know, there's efficiencies, right, to build yes. and systems and automation. But that only goes so far. As you said, there comes a point when if it's 30 clients, especially kind of in the professional services realm, it's 30 clients and reputation and quality is going to be at stake. But I know, I know from a lot of our business owners that is this is a big place where they struggle is the wanting to know when they're going to be ready to hire and so I love this because it's like they can really start to prep that it's like actually you don't need to hire if you're looking at your net new engagements and you can see that they are kind of up and down yeah right that's not the place to put the attention the place to put the attention is going to be on the marketing and the sales and actually getting that more consistently growing first before thinking about hiring absolutely so you know we walk our talk and I met yesterday with, with, we're a traction-based company. We run traction. So I met with my, my integrator, um, my COO, and we know that we're going to need a new CFO on deck, ready to take clients in January. Mm-hmm. Because we know that, we know that we're going to have to start hiring in November mm-hmm. because we have to bring them on in December to train them. Because we have to have at least a month, if not six weeks before they start taking clients. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, here I am talking about my December hires and my January new clients. Yeah. So anyone listening to this, we're in July now, but again, that's such great planning, right? And again, back to the title of the book, instead of being 
panicked instead of being reactive. All of these numbers are about helping you become proactive. Mm. And with the proactive, you make better decisions, especially when decisions are based on on data, Mm. which is really where we come in as CFOs. We find the data, we analyze the data, and we help you use it to make really good, solid decisions. Because when it is a good decision, when it's based on data, you only make it once. Mm. And when you're panicky and you don't have good data, you know, a couple of things happen. You make the decision and then wake up in the middle of the night. Did I make the right decision? And then you make the decision all over again. Exactly. And then the next morning you're talking to a client and you're only listening to them with half an ear because the other half of your brain is going, okay, I know we thought about this at 2 a.m., but really, is it the right thing to do? Mm. Um, the other thing that happens. So the second way that people make decisions is they just make any stinking decision to get it off their desk. Yeah. I mean, you've seen that, right? Totally. Just like, just, I, and and it's like, I can't bear the discomfort of the lack of decision. I don't want the discomfort of the researching and actually digging into the numbers to make the decision. Therefore, we're just going to wing it and get it off the desk. I'm just going to make any decision. And if it's the wrong decision, I'll deal with it later. Because truthfully, I've got too much on my plate right now. Mm. Right. And then the third one, Madame Shaw, you lived, right? You become an ostrich and you stick your head in the sand and you hope that the decision will go away. Yeah. And it it doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't work. No, no. It feels good. Madame Shaw, you are going bankrupt. I know, Madame Shaw, exactly. But again, head in the sand feels good for a while when the sand's a cool kind of place to hide, right? But not for long. Not for long. So yeah, so so it's all about looking forward. And the more information you have, the further ahead you can make a decision, the more comfortable you are with the decision and the easier the decision is to make. So it does take you from that panicky feeling to that very calm place where you can make solid decisions that bring a lot more profit into your business. Mm, so good, so good. And this is just so practical. I mean, it really is, you know, sort of love about what you've put together here. I mean, this isn't, you know, I know you have real deep expertise in the financial world and looking at the numbers in businesses and profit and everything, but you've translated this into something that I think just about everybody can relate to. It's, this is a practical toolkit it for is growing a business. Absolutely. And that was our entire intent when, when I did this was, look, it is not as scary as you think it is. We're going to give you six things to look at four that are forward-looking, and two that help you get back on track. You want to talk about those? Let's go to those, exactly. Now I'm I'm really curious. (laughs) All right, so there are two. So again, when we go back and we start to look at the different parts of your business, um, we start looking at the budget versus actual report. And before you get the whole eye roll thing, Vanessa, (laughs) let me get my little spiel about budgets. Budgets suck. Nobody likes a budget. They're awful. They're restrictive. And as entrepreneurs, we're all about the possibility, not the prohibition. Yeah, totally. Right. So um, we don't call them budgets. We have thrown that out the window. We talk about profit plans. How are you planning on spending money 
to make profit. And I feel like that's, that's so much more positive because really who doesn't want profit, right? I know, right? And for those of us that like to spend a bit of money as well, it's kind of, it speaks my language as the other one is just feels like, as you say, like you're just clipping my wings here. I'm I'm a business owner. Like don't, don't constrain me. And this is what you get to spend. So um, unfortunately, I have not been able to convince Intuit, who is the maker of QuickBooks and a whole bunch of other financial software, to buy into my language. So yeah, you were saying you haven't been able to get Intuit or some of the other big names to buy into your new language. Right. Intuit, big company that they are, does not want to change the verbiage of their reporting. So we are stuck with budget versus actual. And what this is, is it is a report that really puts your profit plan right next to what you actually did. This is the first number that looks backwards. Mm. And by doing that, you can see where you're off track. What changes do you need to make? It also shows you where you've done really well. Like revenue was really up. That's great. And it gives you the opportunity to sit back and think about what you did last month that really drove revenue. So Mm -hmm. you can do that again, Mm -hmm. right? We want to continue the positive things. And then we want to find the root cause of the negative things and change them. Now, I will say the first time you do this, you're going to look at it and you're going to have 42 things you want to fix. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Pick one. And the first time you do it, you may want to pick an easy one, but pick one because you and your team can't handle changing 42 things at once. We're just not wired for that kind of change. So pick one or two, maybe three and fix them. And then the next month you'll fix one, two, or three more. We have a a big joke around my company. The, we were reading a book. Actually, it may have been traction. It said, what's your customer guarantee? And we're like, that you're going to suck less next month. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't think we can say that publicly, guys. But I mean, it's really the truth. Cut yourself some slack. All we're looking for is to suck less next month. Yeah, and make progress, right? And as you said, incremental steps but as you said if it's one to three things every single month again what I'm liking about this is the fact that you're looking at this these numbers very regularly so you can course correct a lot sooner but again come the end of the year that's 12 to 36 changes and that has huge impact that's huge impact yeah what's the um what's the last number the last look last one so this is the one that really I get the most questions about. The question I always get is how much should I be spending on my people, my rent, my copier, my marketing? I mean, you could put any number of expenses in there. Mm -hmm. And really what I think people are asking me is how much should I be spending on all this other stuff? So I know how much I should be taking home. Mm. So the area of your business that we're talking about are your ideal ratios. What is the ideal ratio of revenue to expenditure for your payroll? What is it for marketing? What is it for overhead? And we have two different ways to do it. We've got the quick, easy way, and we've got the more granular way. So let's do the quick, easy way here. 
Mm-hmm. One third of your revenue should go to the people doing the work. Okay, one third people, right. One third should go to overhead, which includes your marketing. Okay. And one third should go to you as the owner in profit. Look, if this business is not compensating you, if you are not making the money you want or need, why are you doing it? So we look at not only the profit that your company gives you, but we want to look at total owner compensation because in general, you are working in your business. So you're probably getting a salary for the work you're doing in your business. If you are, if you have taken an S corp election, the IRS mandates that you take a reasonable salary. So you get money from salary, you get money from profit, and you also get money from all those personal expenses that you bury in your business. I know, I get it. We all do it. You know, it pays for some trips. It pays for some meals. As long as you and your tax accountant are good with it, we're fine with it. But what is your compensation? What is your true total compensation Mm. of all those things? Are you in the ideal ratio kind of world? Are there things you can do to make it better? And is it meeting your needs? Yeah. That's, you know, I think it's such an important question. Again, it's that we, you know, we see again, and that's what I love about this. It's like, this is really planning. It's being proactive. We see so often, and of course we do work with a lot of, you know, women owned businesses that kind of what's left is what I'll pay myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is very much a no. And I'm the first one saying, no, we've got to pay ourselves first because this whole notion of, well, I'll just keep building the business and one day it will, it'll figure itself out and one day I'll be able to pay more. But it's like, no, those, these are runaways numbers. You know, the more mm-hmm. you hire people, the more complexity there is, especially if you're not working with, you know, a great CFO, really great accountant. It's like you won't ever catch up. And we've worked with, you know, we've worked with businesses in the past that are doing multi-million dollars and, you know, working all the hours that God sends, not paying themselves, not profitable, you know, debts everywhere. And, and they're, you know, they're only kind of, you know, the way they had to solve it was frankly closing. Well, and let's be realistic. If you are just taking whatever small amount is left over in your business and you're living on that and you don't know how much is going to be there every month. And some months it's not enough to meet your bills at home. Are you going to be panicky or not? You're going to be panicky. And, you know, we talk about this in our company. If our owners are not making enough money, they are not going to be making good decisions in the business. We have to get, yeah, yeah, we have to get our owners stable at home so that then we can get the business really stable. Because if you have a business where the owner is panicked all the time about money at home, that business is never going to get from the owner it needs, which is a calm head and good decision-making. Yeah. It's, it's so true. And then you say like, and then typically as well, the very people that you've said, you know, you, you want to grow the business for those loved ones are actually the ones that are suffering. Yeah. 
they're suffering because they're suffering because you're stressed. They're suffering because you can't afford anything. So you tend to be cranky with them. And you're also working a gajillion and a half hours because you're worried about money. So then they don't even have the pleasure of your presence. Yeah. So good. Oh, Brooke, this was just so good. I mean, and again, particularly because I didn't know kind of all of the details. It's just been so fun to actually unpack this today. I think what you've put together here is hugely helpful for business owners. I will certainly be sharing this with the entrepreneurs that we work with as well. Um, you are totally onto something. Well, I know you're onto something because you've been writing multiple books about it and speaking around the country. And it's really, you know, it's, it's again, it's super practical and a great way. I love to circle back to that metaphor at the beginning of, yes, I'm on that desert island luxury resort. You know, can I stay another week? And what do I really, you know, can I afford to stay another week? And what would I really need to know? Like if I can put my finger on several pulses in my company, that's going to give yep. me that peace of mind and still be building a profitable business. Absolutely. So thank you as always, always so good to connect with you. And something tells me we've probably got to have a, like a champagne date again at some point. I think we need to do that. Maybe would- minus the kind of crazy Russian Uber driver. But, we will you know. drop the Russian Uber driver. But it's like, <laughs> I think, you know, we've got some good catching up to do. But thank you so much for pouring into us today, Brooke. My pleasure. Anytime.